be here this morning. Thank you, Pastor Tim, for uh, asking me to, to be here with you guys and to bring God's Word to us this morning. Uh, let's begin the morning. I know many of you watch the news. I just want to take a moment and let's pray together for the people of Ukraine, the people of Russia, as they are experiencing just a great turmoil, and ask the Lord to be real and relevant in the people's lives there, especially amongst the believers, because uh, they are not likely sitting and gathering together in worship this morning as we are. Uh, maybe some are in some, some places, but we know certainly there are some who are not free to worship as we do this morning. Let's ask the Lord to bring His hands of protection upon them all, but especially among His people as they bring hope and encouragement even in the midst of what could be a life-threatening situation for many. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for giving us the chance to be here this morning. We bless you for giving us a country to live in that we can be free to worship and gather together. And yet, Lord, we come to you this morning asking and begging and pleading that you would be the God who, like an eagle spreading wings over his children, over, over the, the, the babies, to gather them into the nest. Lord, we ask you to spread your wings of protection across the people of Ukraine. Uh, we ask you to embolden and fill up with your spirit the believers as they are uh, literally fighting for their lives alongside their countrymen. And yet even as they do, Lord, help them to continue to see that this is still not their home. That they can bring a message of hope and of salvation to their neighbors, their friends, their family, to the invaders in their country. Lord, may they be the powerful presence of your son Jesus to any and all that they meet. Lord, give us the wisdom as a country, as a people, to offer the right kind of help at the right time, but give us the wisdom as your children here on this side of the Atlantic to pray for those over there, to, to call down your angels, to call down your protection. We give you the praise and glory, knowing that as wars and rumors of wars are constantly heard, we can still trust in you as our Heavenly Father and as the keeper of our heavenly home so that as we are just passing through this life, we can invite so many that we see every day to go along this way with us. Give us that power, that word on our lips. Give the same to those in the Ukraine. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. If you've been with us the past few weeks, you know that Pastor Tim has been leading us through a, a journey through the book of Acts. And we're going to continue that journey this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts chapter 8. I'm going to set up this for us just a little bit. As we've been going through Acts, we're seeing literally the growth, the birth of the church as a body of Jesus. The believers are now not just worshiping and believing in a teacher that they got to walk with, they are worshiping a resurrected Jesus and the small group, the apostles, the eleven, the, those few that Jesus chose to reveal himself to, they are experiencing many revivals, many small and many as in multiple revivals all over their land where they're seeing dozens and hundreds and even in some places thousands coming to faith in Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. 
The Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples as they're gathered together waiting for their next step, not knowing what to do. And when the Holy Spirit falls on them and empowers them with a gift of languages as they speak languages they uh, heretofore had not known and others recognize these new languages th thinking to themselves, there's no way these guys can know our heart language as we've traveled to Jerusalem from other parts of the world. How could they know my heart language? And it's a unifying gift because in those days all that had this gift of the Holy Spirit we're under the same Holy Spirit. We see in chapter 4 where Peter and John are going to speak to the leaders of the, in Jerusalem. Luke tells us in chapter 4 that Peter and John say very clearly, we are only going to speak of what we have seen and heard. They're not going to make things up. They're not going to add to it. They're going to give what they saw and what they heard about the living Jesus. Gamaliel in chapter 5, one of the Jewish leaders is trying to calm down his, his, his uh, friends as Jewish leaders and saying, look, if this thing's not real, if it's all a sham, don't worry. People will wise up. And they'll, they'll see through it and it'll fall apart just like every sham before it has fallen apart. But we know looking back, oh, it was not a sham. And it did not certainly fall apart. In fact, it's growing even today. There was great miracles happening, miracles of healing. The people were fiercely loyal to their risen Savior, Jesus. They warned against false teachers and false prophets. There was an understanding that following Jesus was now, first and foremost, a heart condition, unlike what they were used to of checking boxes as they went to the temple to get things done, right? They would go, they would do this, they would clean this, they would say these things, they would check the boxes and do the right things. But Jesus came to say it's not about just doing stuff. In fact, now that you have the right heart by following Jesus, the actions that you do truly do honor God. Remember, Ananias and Sapphira didn't quite get that. They were trying to do an action that on the outside looked noble and godly and pious. But because their hearts were wrong, they paid the ultimate price. The lesson to us, even now, 2,000 years later, it is, following Jesus, it is truly a heart condition. Not about what we do. Last week we saw where this growth of the body of believers was, was a, it was growing as both an organism, the living, breathing, acting, serving body of Jesus, and it's the growth of an organization. The serving, following believers in Jesus recognize that there needs to be leaders and structure so that all their serving and their acting is happening fairly and efficiently. The church is growing as an organism, as an organization. But as is often the case, those who like things like it is don't always like how things are going, do they? Anybody in here suffer from that? We're creatures of habit. We like things like we like them, don't we? And when things kind of get changed up, that may be difficult for us to accept. In fact, these Jewish leaders that were so angry at Jesus, they were willing to have him murdered to stop his movement. And they're calling it the way almost as a curse word 
the way. They had it figured out. We murdered the leader, we murdered the movement. In fact, now that he's gone and this way didn't seem to be fading out like they're hoping, they, they hire spies and they hire henchmen to go all around and seek out these boat rockers and take care of business. Remember Stephen? That's taking care of some business right there. You want to claim the name of Jesus? We can fix that. We won't let you claim anymore because we'll bury you under some rocks. And that'll be the end of that. But Luke chapter 8 begins by telling us that this persecution that's happening didn't stop. And yet the growth did not stop either. In fact, the new believers in Christ did not recant their belief, did not go back. They went forward. The movement was expanding. Verse 3 of chapter 8 tells us that Saul was going door to door and ravaging the countryside. Men, women, children, nobody was safe from Saul as he sought out these followers of the way. Verse 1 tells us that these believers, because of this because of the persecution, were scattering all across Judea and Samaria. Pretty good for the Jewish people to say, we're willing to even go to Samaria to continue our religious beliefs in following the way. They put aside their hatred of Samaritans and of Samaria to go and hide there and, pro and to live in freedom. But notice they didn't just go and hide. We're going to look at chapter 4. Look at this, chapter 8, I'm sorry, verse 4. It says, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The followers of the way didn't just go to hide. They went to tell. Notice what it doesn't say. The apostles went and they preached as they went. Oh, no. Those who were scattered. You know who those people were? Us. Just regular folk. They said, we're going to go, we're going to celebrate Jesus. We have to go down here to do it, but we're going to go do it. We're going to have a good time doing it. We're going to tell some friends about it. We're going to, you know, have it grow. It'll be great. They were so convinced of the truth of this resurrected Jesus and the salvation through forgiveness that only offers, is only offered through Jesus, they went preaching the word everywhere they went, even to Samaria. It was so natural for them as they weren't just apostles, they weren't just teachers, they were breathers. As they breathed, the name of Jesus just came out. It's easy for us to say, let the teachers teach, let the apostles preach. Any breathers in here? Okay, breathers, you should be breathing the name of Jesus. The people went and they preached the word. It was so natural. They knew the way and they wanted others to follow them in the way. Which brings us to verse 5. Chapter 8, verse 5. Philip went, it says. Now who is this Philip? Well, let's go back a couple of chapters. Philip is one of those who was recognized in this early church movement as being a man of great wisdom, a man who was of high integrity, a man who, who was, great, was highly devoted to Jesus. And specifically, he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was recognized as being a servant leader, and they elevated him to big position. They recognized his deaconing. We talked about this last week. 
they gave him a, a little bit of credibility as deaconing, as serving, as they called out others to help lead the serving among the church body. And apparently at this point now, he's kind of, he's kind of been promoted. Or maybe he's just moted. You know, he's moving to Samaria. The Apostle John tells us in chapter 4 that Jesus had also previously gone to Samaria. In fact, he met a woman by a well. Jesus was thirsty. He meets the lady, and she has a life-changing experience. All because of a conversation with Jesus. Oh, wait, not just her. There were others. She went and told her friends, hey, come back and see this Jesus. See, John tells us in verse 25, the Samaritan lady in talking with Jesus said, we know there's a Messiah coming. And he's going to tell us everything we need to know. Now, at that point, Jesus, John tells us, tells her, I am that Messiah pretty exciting news for the Samaritan lady. What it tells us is that Jesus had already gone and laid some groundwork in Samaria long before Philip ever arrived. Kind of talks about, we like to say in church circles, you know, some plant, some water, and some harvest. Well, here's the perfect example of it right here. Jesus is kind of spreading some seed around here, casting it out there. There's probably some Samaritans that actually believe and, and, and follow the, the, the Jesus, his teachings. There's at least a bunch that have heard the name Jesus. See, the Samaritans weren't the Gentiles. They were the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So as Jesus went down there and passed through, and now Philip going down there and passed through, they're not going out to the uttermost ends of the earth. They're going to their neighbors. Some of them have heard the name of Jesus. But someone else was in Samaria before Philip. Let's read and see who this person is. Let's look at chapter 8, verse 9. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Another version says he had bewitched them with his magic. Notice the wording at the end of verse 9 and the end of verse 10. He himself saying that was someone great, which means he called himself great. And then at the end of verse, 11, verse 10, the people also saying, this is a great man of God who calls himself great. You see, Simon had a problem. He loved himself. He wanted to be called great. They paid attention to him because he amazed them with his magic, with his illusions, and it kind of gave him the big head. You know, I asked Sean Moss, many of you know him, he's our resident magician. He has done some magic shows in the area and done some for our folks here at the church. I asked him, I said, Sean, is it easy to get the big head when you're amazing people? He said, oh yeah. He, I, I recall one show where he explained very clearly, this isn't their magic. I'm not sorcery. It's just sleight of hand. I just practice it really good so you can't follow it. And that's true. You can't follow it. I mean, I don't know how he does it. it. It's amazing. But he is a skilled worker of his craft. And Simon was 
as well. And Simon let it go to his head. There's an old movie from the late 60s called In the Heat of the Night. And Sidney Poitier was one of the stars. He was a Philadelphia detective. He'd gone down to the deep south. To, reach, to, to check, to work on a case down there, and the backwoods southern sheriff did not appreciate this African-American detective coming down to his country, his area, and he said, they introduced him as Virgil Tibbs, the guy from Philadelphia. Virgil? Virgil? What kind of name is Virgil? What do they call you up from where you're from? And Senior Portier looked at him and said, they call me Mr. Tibbs. Well, in that case, he commanded respect for his position. In this case with Simon, he demanded respect for his position. He wanted everyone to call him Simon the Great. And to be honest, doing the things he could do, it kind of fit, didn't it? It's easy to follow that. He's a lover of self. He craves the attention of others. Was he truly gifted to perform these things or was he just a skilled con man a skilled at his craft of sleight of hand someone who practices it to gain the confidence of others well either way he liked being called simon the great now how far is that from us let's be honest who likes a little anybody okay all liars now all right so I mean, most everybody I know enjoys a little pat on the back, right? It's because we like people to notice us. We like people to recognize our giftedness, to recognize our, our contribution to whatever it is. I mean, I do. Is this thing on? Hello. That's right. And that's how we function. When, I, when Sam would play football on the field, he would talk about, or any sport really, he would talk about the trash talking from other players. I said, Sam, you don't stoop to their level and talk trash. You let your play speak for itself. You, let, you hit harder than they hit. You tackle harder than they tackle. And then, don't say a word. Now, every now and then, you meet a guy or a girl who's better at what you do than you do, than you are, right? And they hit harder or they play better. And that happens. But there's no need to trash talk. Just let your play be it. But that's how we function. We like to tell people, mm, man, I'm good, don't we? We like to. But see, that's what sin does. Sin, and this is where we come to the first, my first point this morning is that sin, it's the bad news. We're all, we're all like Simon. We all are like Simon. And if you go back and look at the old game we used to play, what did, uh, we used to play called Simon Says. This morning, we're going to look at what Simon Says and realize that that is not how we ought to live because there is some bad news. Sin affects everything. Sin is the daily action of our heart and our mind to say, there's a throne of my heart and I want to be on it. Well, when we experience this bad news and live in this bad news, every now and then, challenge comes to the way we like things. And now Luke is going to tell us in this chapter 8 of Acts that when the winds of fandom over Simon change direction, something happens. Let's look at verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria 
and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, as one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And there was much joy in the city. People paid great attention to Philip. Simon's leadership, Simon's greatness was challenged because Philip was also doing great works. In fact, they were such great works. They were not the easy ones. It says that there was unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice. Many, many came out. People who were paralyzed were healed. Folks, these are not the little things that are easily overcome with trickery and sleight of hand. These are big honking deals. People who can't walk can now walk. And we know from other accounts that people who, were, who, were in, in, who had spirits in them, this was also very obvious and not easy to fix. For example, we know of in the book of Mark, the man of the, the, in the Gerasene Cemetery, it says he would go around and they'd put chains on him because he was possessed by a demon. He'd break the chains. People would try to subdue him and no one could subdue him. He would go around wandering the tombs, cutting himself and crying out a loud voice until he meets Jesus. And it says the demons cry out with a loud voice, Who are you? I said, it's not subtle. Hey, Jesus, is that you? Oh no. Loud voice. What we see is that this same type of possession Philip encounters in Samaria. They didn't want to come out of the garrison, man, and they made a loud noise. No, we don't want to come out. With Philip, it says, crying out with a loud voice, they came out of many who had them. Philip is doing some pretty amazing things. And Simon sees it. In fact, Philip is upstaging Simon's sorcery, his trickery, his bewitching. And it says in verse 6 that the people are now paying attention to Philip with one accord. Which means they're all saying, Simon who? Hmm. This agreement among the people caused a great joy in Samaria. Now we need to ask... If we know the bad news about Simon, which is also the bad news about us, we know that that bad news of sin, when a challenge comes against that bad news, what in this text is the challenge to the bad news? It's the good news. It's the good news. Let's read and see what the good news is. In verse 12 it says, When they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, we're going to stop there for just one moment because... Where is Philip preaching this? In Samaria. They had been reminded over and over and over by the Jewish leaders, you're kind of us, but not really. In fact, we have our kingdom, and you're out. And now you've got Philip coming down to Samaria saying, hey guys and girls, the kingdom of God includes you. Now that, if you're a Samaritan, is pretty good news. Because formerly excluded, Philip says included. That is such good news. But wait, there's more. How do you find that good news? How do you find that entrance in the kingdom? Philip said it. It's because of the name of Jesus. That's how the Samaritans, that's how the Holly Springers enter 
the kingdom. That's how anyone from Spartanburg, from Greenville, from South Carolina, from the United States, from anywhere on our globe enters the kingdom of God only through the name of Jesus. Even Simon, verse 13, says himself was believed in this teaching. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. Seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. You know, it, it would seem that there's enough sincere change in Simon that Philip baptized Simon. We don't have a record where it says Philip knew there was something going on, so he told Simon, hey, not you today. Let's wait a couple of days and see how it turns out. No, no. Apparently, there was enough change in Simon's, his face maybe, his attitude, that Philip says, if you're professing Jesus, then you're a candidate for baptism. But we know that there actually appears to be a new Simon. Because it says that he continued with Philip, which means Simon the Great is now Simon in the shadows. Hmm. Has some case of humility attacked Simon? Has he realized that he's really not Simon the Great? It's something greater? It's the name of Jesus that causes this? Hmm. For a time, he set aside Simon the Great to become Simon, the follower of the way. Simon, humbly watching and learning the good news. The coming of the Holy Spirit, it tells us now in verse 14, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. The good news continues. The good news that Jesus is having an effect on people outside of Jerusalem. Because, see, Peter and John were commissioned by the Jerusalem church to go down there and make sure, is this the same Holy Spirit working down there that's working up here? You see, Philip may not have even seen the falling of the Holy Spirit on the apostles in the upper room. He may have only seen or heard about the, the giftedness of tongues and of the languages. So for Philip, for someone to say, I want to follow Jesus, that was all he needed to hear. All right, you're a follower of Jesus, professing faith in him. Peter and John had seen the Holy Spirit fall, and they were, whoa, we need to make sure this is the same Holy Spirit. So the church leaders sent them down to say, is this the same Holy Spirit? And when they got down there, they're asking around, tell me about what you know. We know Jesus is the way. What do you know? We know Jesus is the way. And I can just imagine them saying, God, what they're saying seems right. Is he, are you at work among these people? Let's pray for them that they'll receive the same signs that we saw. And they did. The good news of the Holy Spirit falling on the people and them receiving the same, apparently the same giftedness of speaking new languages that they previously did not know. 
And now to Peter and to John, yes, this is the Holy Spirit. This is the same Jesus that, that hit us in there and it's hitting them down here. That is the good news traveling fast. And we're so excited to see that the way includes Samaria. And now they can go back, if they wish, to Jerusalem and report to the church, the, the center, the core of the church, the leaders, and say, look, it is the same Holy Spirit there that it was here. But was it all good news? Because someone that we know shows back up. Let's keep reading. Verse 18, chapter 8. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Who shows back up? Simon the Great. Simon the Great. It appeared that this humble Jesus follower Simon has now kind of put on the back burner, and the old Simon, who wants to glorify himself, has returned yet again. Maybe he's one of those seeds that Jesus talked about in Matthew 13, where the sower goes and casts seed. Some fall in rocky places and never sprout, but some fall, fall in the shallow soil, and they spring up only because the soil is so shallow only to die again. Maybe that is Simon. A flash-in-the-pan sort of faith. His belief apparently was short-lived. So was it real? It's kind of hard to know. Because we don't know a lot about Simon at this point. He believed that there was something new and something that he should follow. But maybe he was thinking of it this way. If this way is the new thing, then I can follow the leaders of this new thing and learn their way, and soon I'll be a leader of the way too. So it's possible that even this whole time, Simon's faith really wasn't that deep to start with. He spoke it enough so Philip could baptize him. But when it really came down to it, it's the same old Simon, because his heart is wrong. Simon wanted the ability to bestow the Holy Spirit through his hands so much that he's willing to pay for it. You see, Simon, as part of even the lost sheep of the house of Israel, knew the stories of the bestowing of hands. Think all the way back to Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. Jacob was so desirous of that laying on of hands to bestow the blessing, to have the authority passed down to him. He was willing to deceive his brother, deceive his father, only to have his dad lay his hands on him and pass down the blessing. And we know that Isaac is now in history as a great leader of the church, of the early Jews, early Hebrew people. Simon's thinking in his mind, yes, I want to be another Isaac. I want to have the authority to lay my hands on people too. Again, it's not so different from us. Really, is it? Don't we seek power sometimes? Don't we like to have authority? Don't we like to have something we can pass down to others? Simon sees the value of the gift of God and attaches an earthly value, money, to a spiritual value. He's seeking an exchange of goods. In this case, it's kind of like an intellectual property because he's not buying a, a, a camel or a mule. He's buying an intellectual or a spiritual property of the, of the being able to bestow blessing. And we do the same things a lot of times. God, if you'll just 
let me get through this mess that I created, then I will serve you. Lord, if you just let me pass this test that I really didn't study for, then oh, I'll serve you. God, if you'll just sell me this amazing power, then when I become Simon the Great again, I promise I'll give you some of the credit. You know, as much as Simon wanted his name to live on, it does. Not just in our text. This thing of buying power in the church, buying authority in the church, has a name. You know what it is called? Simony. So now Simon's name lives in infamy. He got what he asked for. His heart was wrong. And now he is challenging the good news for his position and his own glory. Well, folks, sin always tries to find a way and creep in and mess up even our good intentions. If our faith is not nurtured by our own disciplines, maybe by the wise input of a disciple, discipler and mentor type of relationship, that shallow soil may not sustain our faith. But lastly, the gospel is never second rate and never has a human price tag. Let's continue to read verse 20. Peter says, Acts chapter 8. Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. J.B. Phillips translates it as this. You and your money can go to hell. And he's not saying it in a curse way. He's saying it this way. Your intentions are straight from hell. Send them back. Your money that you want to buy your position in the church that's also from hell. Send it back. And the good news presents a challenge to the bad news. You, Simon, have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Notice, he doesn't say pray to the Lord that my heart will be changed. He just doesn't want the bad stuff to happen to him. Is his heart truly different? Church history says that Simon is credited for creating an, a, a heretical type of movement within the next several generations and they trace it back to his teachings which would appear to be not godly but self-honoring. We don't have a record of that in scripture. Maybe he really didn't perceive it that he would be the father of a heresy. But church history seems to identify him as that. Repent Peter said, turn away from your wickedness. In your heart and in your mind, turn away from this bad heart. He says, let your light shine before others 
so that they see all these good works that you're doing and point to you because you're Simon the Great. That's not what he says. Let your light shine so that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That is the challenge from the good news. And ladies and gentlemen, that challenge will never be overcome. Our sin and ourselves can't beat it because that's the way God sees things. He wants our hearts to be changed. And because our hearts change, our lives change. And so for that reason, the challenge God gives to us today is the same. Repent from our wicked ways and turn and follow Jesus, not follow ourselves. Pray to the Lord that our hearts would be changed, Simon should have said, so that I can be a different man, not just avoid consequences. Now, where does that leave us today? Well, you see that there was, good, there was bad news, and it was challenged. There was good news. And again, Simon popped up. Our humanness, our humanity, our sinfulness pops up and says, No, God, I've got a better way. And God says, There is a right way. That's why the word repent is used 30, 40 times. Repent. Repent. Turn away from self. So now, where does that leave us? It leaves us at verse 25. When they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Kind of sounds like as they were going, they were making disciples. Hmm. I think I've heard that somewhere. Maybe that was the last words of Jesus, was it not? As you're going to work, don't waste the trip. Talk to somebody at work about Jesus. As you're at school walking in the hallways, don't waste that trip in the hallway. Tell somebody about Jesus. Remember, it's supposed to be breathed out. It should be so easy on your lips, it just happens. As you're going to your sports team, going to class, going to work, going home, going to family reunions, whatever it is you're going to be doing, go. Making disciples as you go. So the challenge to us today is simply this. Are you Simon with a bad heart? No better day than today to get that straightened out. To say to God in heaven, say, Lord, I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross and I want to give him my life. In fact, I'm going to even give him my death. And he's going to give me back his life so we can live. Maybe you're thinking, I've, I've been trying to claim some of that glory for myself. Maybe I'm kind of like the, the, the Simon that was kind of there and kind of not. No better day than today to repent of that sinfulness, that selfishness, and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I've kind of been walking, but I kind of strayed, and now's the day I want to give it back. Maybe today you need to pray and ask the Lord that he would make you one of these goers and disciple makers. So that as you're going, that you are consciously and intentionally saying, I want to make disciples as I go, because that's what I do naturally. It's just the good news that just flows over. And I can't help but tell people about Jesus. One of my teachers used to say, if you want to hear Jesus talk, if you want to hear Paul talk about Jesus, just take your hand off his mouth. <laughs> it took me several times to, to hear him say that before I realized what he meant. He meant, if you cover his mouth where he can't speak, you won't hear about Jesus. 
But as soon as you open, take your hand off and let him speak, he'll be talking about Jesus. That's how we ought to be. So this morning, where are you? Are you Simon, selfish, stuck in sin? Or are you needing to repent of that? Maybe you're one of the, maybe like Peter and John, and you're able to say, that sin, get rid of it. Well, hey, you need to pray and ask the Lord to give you more boldness as you go. But today, there's no better chance than to give your life to Jesus this morning. If you want to come and pray here at these steps, you can come and pray. I'll be glad to pray that the Lord would give you power and strength to continue to follow him. If you need to pray and ask the Lord to be your Lord and your Savior, I'd love to pray with you over that. And I'll meet you here at the front. Let's stand together. Lord, thank you for this day you give us. Thank you that you give us the chance to, to hear your word, to hear about Simon, and you give us the chance not to be like him, but to give to you our heart, our mind, our strength, so that we can follow you in all things. Thank you, Lord, for the chance we have. May we take that chance today in Jesus' name. Amen.